Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Will Kane, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Drugs, criminals, and desperate people, really from all over the world, are flowing across our southern border. And as Republicans criticize the Biden administration response, people, including children, are dying, drowning in the Rio Grande River as they cross. They try to point to one or two bills that they know are completely dead on arrival. And then they go, yeah, we tried. You know, let's just blame the other side for it. And and what's happening along the way is businesses are hurt, people are hurt, and people are dying. I'm Dave Anthony. A heat wave is straining California's power grid, leading to questions about whether there's enough juice for all the electric cars they'll mandate people buy down the road. We're already, I would say, some would argue, suffering from the generous uh, green targets that the state imposed years ago. And yet you're going to go do it again with another mandate. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. More migrants are dying as they trek to the U.S. Many more are being apprehended as they cross, and even more are waiting for asylum requests to be heard. Fox News correspondent Garrett Tenney is in Texas along the Rio Grande River in the Eagle Pass area. In the last three days alone, despite the slower than normal traffic, nearly 2,700 migrants have crossed the southern border, including 10 sex offenders, four gang members, and one murderer who were taken into custody by Border Patrol. On the day the Border Patrol chief released that data, there was a delegation from New York City Mayor Eric Adams' office visiting the border in Texas. This after Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent thousands of migrants via bus to New York, citing its sanctuary policies. CBP is on track to report a record-breaking number. More than 2 million migrants will likely have been apprehended this fiscal year, which ends September 30th. At the same time, a New York Times report now says that per DHS information and court filings, there are one million people waiting to have their asylum claims adjudicated. And these are people who arrived since President Biden took office. As asylum cases often take more than five years to resolve, there were many more already waiting in the pipeline. Many who do try to get in cross in the Rio Grande River, which has proven deadly. Drownings have increased. Monthly, we're doing approximately 30 drownings. So that's probably a drowning a day that we have. That was Eagle Pass, Texas Fire Chief Manuel Mello in an interview with Fox News in late August. Late last week, several migrants drowned in the river in one incident. And just before that, in late August, two children drowned and a newborn baby was hospitalized after being pulled from the river. White House spokeswoman Karine Jean-Pierre called the deaths this week tragic and heartbreaking. I know the Department of Homeland Security is working very hard on continuing uh, to secure our border, uh, to do uh, work that was not done uh, in the past several years. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said in July at the Aspen Security Forum, the border is secure. But for those who live and work there, they say that's just not true. You know, the number one thing you can do is show up. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. 
And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your politics are. It will touch you. It'll move you. It'll upset you. It'll fill you with emotion. Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez represents the 23rd Congressional District in Texas along the border, and he spoke to us while traveling. And that's the part that just boggles my mind why this administration won't even show up and listen. They don't have to listen to one Republican. They can they can fill the room with, you know, a, a thousand Democrats and they will tell you the exact same thing that this border crisis is as bad as it's ever been. And you're seeing historic numbers. There's going to be like 800 migrants that have passed away. I mean, it's just absolutely horrific. You know, imagine being a first responder. Imagine being a Border Patrol agent or a, a firefighter or uh, EMS that has to pull these babies out of the water. You don't think that changes you? Uh, so I worry about our first responders. You said while there you would happily work with anyone, including Democrats, on immigration reform to go beyond uh, just the, the yep. first responder type yep. issue, you know, to, to deal with larger issues concerning immigration. Have you had any Democrats approach you in the past few months and say, let's do something, let's work on something? You know, I, I've, I've had very few Democrats. You have plenty of Democrats kind of say they want to they do things on immigration reform. Very few of them uh, dedicate any time and energy towards that. And I mean, it could be the fact that you know, on the House side, everyone's trying to leave as fast as possible. You see all these, you know, uh, a large number of retirements. Many of them have given up. Uh, immigration reform isn't an easy topic. That's been frustrating. I, I will say there have been a couple of folks, though, that have uh, at least had a conversation with uh, Darren Soto from Florida. Uh, he came down to the district and we visited Del Rio, Uvalde, San Antonio. We spoke with farmers and ranchers on immigration reform. He visited the uh, Border Patrol station there in Del Rio. He's the first Democrat to do so in several years. So, I, you know, I'd say there's some. I recently took a trip to, uh, to the Northern Triangle, uh, went to Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. I did that with Luke Carrera from California, Jimmy Panetta from California, and Abigail Spanberger from Virginia. So there are a handful of folks, but, you know, there's over 200 Democrats in the House. I named four. You know, this is what's unsad about it. And yes, I will absolutely work with anyone, not only from a border security standpoint, humanitarian standpoint, but from a long-term immigration reform. Congressman, tell me more about your trip. What did you learn there? Why did you go? Did you did you sense anything while there that you, you know, want to wave your arms at and say, look, like this could we need to talk about this? Yeah, you know, I've hosted I've hosted 14 congressional delegations, well, 12 congressional delegations at the border and two candidate delegations. So a lot of people have come to the district to see what is happening. And, you know, the administration got one part right when they said they wanted to focus on the root causes. The problem they got wrong is all they said were that they showed up one time and they just mentioned it. They didn't really put any dedication or effort into it. So uh, I took a bipartisan delegation. We, I went with a bipartisan delegation, went to the Northern Triangle. And what I saw was, uh, you know, very, very difficult conditions. You could see why people were fleeing. Some of the things that stuck out to me, though, was the lack of engagement that the administration has had with anyone from Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador. It just, it was apparent that they had shown no attention or no interest in it. When I asked the president of Guatemala, you know, when was the last time you spoke with President Biden? He laughed and he goes, I've never spoken with him. He goes, I briefly spoke with him one time almost two years ago. And then, you know, when I asked a similar question to the foreign minister of El Salvador, she goes, yeah, no, no one's ever spoken with us 
uh, from the administration. So wow. these are these are fundamental issues. If you won't communicate with someone, how do you expect to solve a problem? The New York Times says um, since President Biden took office, there are one million migrants who've claimed asylum. Knowing it takes five to seven years, maybe more to adjudicate a case, there must be several more than that in the pipeline. And as you know, you can only apply for work about five months after you filed your asylum request. When you were that, at the border this summer, you said, I've got ranchers and farmers who need workers, and there's no one at this new processing facility in Texas working to handle asylum cases. Have you inquired further on that front? Absolutely. You know, the Democratic Party has given up on immigration reform completely. They have gone all in on this illegal process that exploits people. And, and the exploitation doesn't end at the border. It, it continues on. You know, I, I have a rancher. Honestly, it's every industry. It's no longer just agriculture and construction, retail. It's literally every industry in the United States has vacancies. And I've got business owners going, all these people are coming here for a better life. How do we, how do we have them come through the front door? You know, and uh, and this is the part that there is there's no one to work with. I mean, I've jumped up and down going, hey, let's find a way to, to solve this. No one from the administration takes me up on it. Very few people in the House have any interest in it. It's purely politics. They try to point to one or two bills that they know are completely dead on arrival. And then they go, yeah, we tried. You know, we, let's just blame the other side for it. And, and what's happening along the way is businesses are hurt. People are hurt and people are dying. I mean. By the hundreds, no one knows their names. It's absolutely terrible. Once they answer in the United States, you know, the asylum cases, over 95% of them do not qualify for asylum. So the reality is many of these people will remain living in the shadows for the rest of their lives. Wow. I, I, I do want to pivot with you um, to the politics element, uh, maybe beyond the border. Um, as you know, the, the talk of a, a red wave has been a bit reduced ahead of midterms this fall. I know it still looks like the House will go Republican, but by less than previously forecast. You couple that with what's going on in some of these Senate races. You have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell referencing candidate quality. Um, that has upset Senator Rick Scott, as well as, of course, former President Trump. What, what do you think is going on, and what would you tell your fellow Republicans to do? Yeah, anyone who thought Nancy Pelosi was just going to go quietly into the night and become the ambassador of Italy is fooling themselves. Democrats are going to go down fighting and clawing and scratching and screaming. Uh, majorities aren't given, they're earned. And I'd say House Republicans, uh, we've got a little bit more to go before we earn this majority. And part of that is showing up, showing up early, showing up often, going to communities that no one else would go to going to places around the country like the Northern Triangle that no one else will go to, come up with real solutions to real problems, and we run on that. Everybody knows how terrible the Democratic policies are. They don't need to be reminded of that. That's not enough, if you will. What you're going to see uh, here in about maybe a week and a half, two weeks, maybe mid-September, you're going to see House Republicans roll out this commitment to America. And I think once that gets rolled out, you're really going to see the House Republicans, not only members, but also candidates, circle behind that and really have a uh, unified message on what we're going to do when we're in power. And I think once that takes hold, you're going to see more and more people get excited. You, you've had an interesting time yourself. Your district was redrawn and it's now more Republican. I imagine you're happy about that. But you did vote recently for the gun legislation. Within your district is the Uvalde School, uh, Rob Elementary, that experienced the horrific mass shooting. How, 
How much did that shooting impact your vote? Look, I grew up 38 miles from Uvalde. You know, I know these people immensely and uh, our community is still hurting. Matter of fact, today is uh, the first day of school. So there's a lot happening. Uh, Last Friday was our first home football game. So a lot of things happening in our community. Uh, To me, the reason why I voted in support of the Safest Community Act were two reasons. One, it would have prevented the Uvalde shooting. That was very important to me. Two, it would have not infringed upon the Constitution equally as important to me. So I think it showed that the House and the Senate, Congress as a whole, can pass meaningful legislation when they come together and try to find solutions, not just spew rhetoric or, you know, throw bills that have zero chance of passing into law. Uh, I'd also say I'm a father of six. Every parent has anxiety over this school year. And what happened in Uvalde can happen absolutely anywhere. I think now what should happen is now that the Safest Community Act is passed, there's billions of dollars in there towards mental health and about 300 million towards school safety. Uh, Every member of Congress, regardless of how they voted for this bill, should be fighting to bring those dollars back home. That's one of the things I've been doing, going around the district, speaking with superintendents, and getting them to, uh, hey, submit for these grants. What would you say to parents and children uh, who, who are going back to school this week in the Uvalde School District? I know there's fencing around some schools. No one's going back to Robb Elementary. Um, what, do you, what do you say to nervous parents and children uh, this week? What I would recommend any parent that's listening is contact your school. Do not rely on the federal government to keep your kids safe. Reach out to your school district reach out to your superintendent, reach out to your chief of police and ask them, hey, what of our, what is the plan? What is our plan for active shooter? What is our plan for mental health resources? You know, how can I get it? How can I help? You know, my kids go to public school and I, I just think it's so critical now more than ever that all parents get involved. Yes, and I, I, look, push those that represent you at the local, state and federal level, but don't rely on them. You know, too often politicians will tell you one thing and you got to wait forever to do it, you know, as a parent. Roll up your sleeve and make sure that your child is safe. And if they're not, hold these people accountable. Congressman Tony Gonzalez, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. It'll be another searing day in much of California Though it may not be quite as hot. But we're talking, you know, temperatures being 110 plus, decreasing to just 100 plus. So still between 100 and 110 for much of California through Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday. National Weather Service meteorologist William Churchill. Many blame climate change, including Governor Gavin Newsom. We, all of us, have been trying to outrun Mother Nature. But it's pretty clear uh, that Mother Nature uh, has outrun us. And the Democrat says California's power grid is being stretched to the limit with so much air conditioning demand. Energy reliability becomes more and more stressed because demand 
increases. At the same time, supply decreases. Yeah, supply decreases in the evening and at night when the sun goes down, limiting solar energy. So Governor Newsom is asking Californians to conserve. Try not to use uh, too much electricity in those key hours. And the key hours are between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. One of the things people are asked not to do in those hours, plug in their vehicles in a state that wants to go all electric. By 2035, you won't be able to buy one powered by gasoline, a new one. Continuing a green agenda there. It was actually back in in 2003 that California began saying, listen, we want to get more of our electricity from green or renewable sources. William Lajeunesse is Fox News' senior national correspondent based in Los Angeles. By 2011, they put in these renewable portfolio standards. And not to bore anyone, but basically it said if you were a utility, each year you had to get more and more of your power from wind and solar or renewable. Right. And utilities had to meet that. Well, the the problem is, you know, we have a growing electrical demand. They've retired, I think, more than three dozen natural gas-powered facilities as they got the capital to build wind and solar. And of course, we all know that those are intermittent. Well, California never got the backup battery power to get us to transition, if you will, from daytime to night. So we're in the situation where we're in six days now of what we call flex alerts, basically telling people, um, do not use power, if you can, between four and nine, which is when people come home and turn on the lights. And some people are still working. So you have the load from commercial and residential at the same time. The irony is that the the the, the situation, uh, let me connect the dots and I'll shut up. But basically, <laughs> we're putting in these these rules on electric cars right? Which is putting more load on the grid when in fact we're already, I would say some would argue, suffering from the generous uh, green targets that the state imposed years ago. And yet you're going to go do it again with another mandate. Yeah. You know, when you talk about wind and solar, water has also been an issue. Trying to have hydro energy is tough when you have a drought. And, of course, it gets dark at night. So it's very difficult for some of that renewable energy, which California is finding out. And what's interesting is that the governor wants to continue the nuclear power plant that's supposed to be retired in three years for another 10 years beyond that. Let's unwind that, number one. Hydro. California typically got 15% of their power from hydro, but because of the drought, we're only getting 10%. So that's a a 5% reduction is huge, right? Yeah, right. So you can't get that anymore. And of course, California has not built a new dam since 1974. Environmentalists do not want to flood any canyons, and we want to make sure that the steelhead trout can swim upstream. So can't have any more hydro. They don't want to get any nuclear because we don't have a permanent repository, you know, up in Yucca Mountain and what other concerns they have with nuclear. So when you then take a look at what is coming, the new rule or law for California is 2035, right? can no longer, that's the date where you could no longer purchase a gas-powered vehicle, right? New one, correct. A new one. The old ones would still be on the road and then phased out. So what does that do? If you can't, in a heat wave, have people plugging their cars in from four to nine and they have to conserve energy, how are you going to have so many more people plugging in? 
So we got 13 years to do it. So we're adding battery capacity and so forth. The problem is, as you know, is what's on paper looks good until you start citing, trying to cite some of these things. So I've looked at several 500 kV lines, you know, going through what you and I might call the desert. And of course, there are people who like to protect the desert and the tortoise and a lot of other stuff. And they like to protect their view shed. And they go, you're not going to build a power line here. No way. We're going to go to court. And so all those nice things that you said about the grid are not going to be the reality within the time frame that you have. The other problem with every no gas powered new vehicle sold in 2035 or beyond is, and this is something that people don't connect the dots. There are interim targets that um, manufacturers must meet or the California Air Resources Board can penalize you, right? So so right now, new cars sold in California, 16% new cars sold are electric. By 2026, so four years from now, or actually a little less than that, it's got to be 35%. So we're going to double new car sales in four years? How do you enforce that, I mean, though, William? How, how do they force people? How do you get to 35%? What's the mandate? How do you do that? Well, yeah, how do you? Well, I'm going to fine you. That's how. Fine who, So though? that's so. The, well, the manufacturers, you want to sell cars in California. So you have to say, how do you get to these targets, right? How do you get to 68%? So you have to have, let's, let's look at your General Motors and you sell 100 cars in California. I'm going to mandate that 35% of those General Motors by 2026 are going to be 35%. Okay. Or I'm going to limit the cars that you can sell here. So I you see. want to sell that Ford F-150? No, you can't because that's good. you're not going to hit the target. You're going to be at you're going to be at only 33%. Right, right, so, right. So, that, so they have to self-police themselves it. essentially and say, "Okay, we've already sold our right. allotment of regular vehicles. Now we have to finish our allotment of the electrics this month or whatever it is." So what's going to happen is this, and which is which is you could argue good or bad, but so what's going to happen, Dave, it's going to be the target date is going to be coming up. And you're in the General Motors. And you go, we have got to sell more of those bolts or the bolts or bolts, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. So instead of the sticker price is at 40, Dave, I'm going to entice you. I'm going to sell you that car for 25 grand because that's going to get me to that target because Joe is still buying the Silverado. So that's how it's going to work. But ultimately... Can the grid expand to the level, if, if everybody in California had to plug a car in, I guess we have to assume that within 13 years, the technology is going to be so much better than it is now that it won't be difficult and take up as much of the grid to, to juice our vehicles. But currently, as it is now, it wouldn't work if everybody had to plug a car in. Of course not. But but you're you're talking like an engineer and you got to think like a politician. That's your problem. So, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of problems. Yeah. So you want to get elected, then then that's not going to work. Right. This whole transition that, you know, you know, we go back to the friends of the earth and so forth saying, you know, we're going to be 100 percent wind and solar by 2020. Well, we kind of missed that. That was your target. But the world didn't work that way. And people want, they want certain things. The people in India would like to have air conditioning or a car. So you know what? We're not going to get where you want to go because it's unrealistic. But when it comes to public consumption of opinion, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't get you votes. You know, a lot of American drivers have at least thought about switching to the plug from the pump 
After gas prices hit five bucks a gallon in June, a record over six dollars in California, prompting President Biden to say then, We have a chance here to make a fundamental turn toward renewable energy, electric vehicles. Of course, Republicans took issue with that. They blame him for the inflation that he blamed on Russia's invasion driving up energy prices. Gas has gone down, but it's still over five bucks a gallon in California which may lead the way again, pushing for zero-emission electric cars, like Democrat Governor Jerry Brown did two decades ago with stricter-than-federal standard emissions. What happened when when Jerry Brown sued the uh, Bush administration EPA on tailpipe emissions, that was fought in court, and the Supreme Court ruled in the state's favor and said, states, if you want to be more restrictive, you can. Well, immediately, 12 other Democratic states joined California in requiring stricter emission standards. Well, those states are now 17. There's a band of 17 states that have signed on to the California plan. Well, now those 17 states have to make a decision. They're at a crossroads. Are they going to go down the road of electric cars with us? Or are they going to go, you know what, that doesn't work for us. We're going to go back to the federal standard or something similar to it. And of those 17, obviously California is led by Democrats. Are all of the other ones led by Democrats? They are. But the situation is whether or not the governor and the state lawmakers in some of those states are are going to get on the same page. I think, for instance, Pennsylvania, I think is, is that split? Anyways, there's several states. Minnesota says we can't do it because electric cars don't work that well in the cold weather, right? So Minnesota's out. Virginia, Yunkin, he's out. I believe Pennsylvania and Colorado say we're gonna. We're not. We're not 100% with you. I think New York, Massachusetts, obviously Oregon, Washington, who are, you know, sister states for all intents and purposes politically, uh, they'll go along with it. But these issues, with climate change considered a threat that's only going to get worse, these issues will not be resolved. I think California added 4,000 uh, megawatts this year. The problem is partially as a demand from electric cars exceeded that. So um, and and they have it because of a lot of the issues that we don't have time to go into about sourcing all the minerals for these lithium batteries because we're competing with everyone else in the world that we haven't been able to put as many batteries in as we want. I mean, the, I mean there is there is a lot of solar energy here. They just haven't been able to to transition that from day to night. And, and that remains a technical problem and a financial one. William Lajeunesse, Fox News senior national correspondent based out in Los Angeles. Great to talk to you. Thanks. I really appreciate your time, William. Okay. Thanks, Dave. I'm Gianna Jalosi. It turns out if you get a bad night's sleep, you don't only impact your own health, but also the well-being of those around you. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, found a lack of sleep in terms of both quantity and quality may make humans less willing to help one another, making people less empathetic, less generous, and more socially withdrawn. The study shows just one hour of sleep deprivation could have a clear hit on our innate human kindness. One portion of the study shows 
shows charitable donations dropped by 10 percent in states that observe daylight saving time. While it didn't impact those in states that don't spring forward, another portion of the study compared human brain activity of a group of people that got eight hours of sleep to a group who got no sleep and found reduced activity in parts of the brain that engage when humans empathize with one another or try to understand each other's needs. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say adults need seven or more hours of sleep every night for the best health and well-being. Aside from making you a little more selfish, the CDC also says a lack of sleep is known to be associated with increased risk of heart disease, depression, diabetes, high blood pressure. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tom What's on your mind? Despite best efforts from Team Joe to convince you otherwise, the American people are feeling the pinch and struggling to afford everyday items as inflation remains high. But true, the latest jobs report wasn't horrible. The jobless rate did rise to 3.7% and hourly earnings went up just over 5% since last year. But here's the but. The increase in hourly earnings are still not on par with inflation. So while those who actually work are earning a bit more, that doesn't mean the trip to the grocery store is any less painful. But speaking of jobs, the economy did add 315,000 new jobs, which was a bit more than expected. However, apparently our illustrious White House press secretary didn't get that memo. Because before the Labor Day holiday, Corrine Jean-Pierre told us that the U.S. has added 10,000 million jobs since President Biden took office. Was it a gaffe? I'm sure it was. Will certain low-information viewers and voters believe it? Sadly, probably so. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can listen to all of my hot takes at foxnewscommentary.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News.